This is the Waters and Harvey Show. I'm Darren Waters. And I'm Marcus Harvey. In 1917, leading American businessman Julius Rosenwald created a fund to support the educational efforts of African Americans in the South. Today, Marcus and I will be in conversation with Willa Wyatt and Les Raker, who just completed the restoration of a Rosenwald school in Mars Hill. We'll be back in a moment. Again, this is the Watterson Harvey Show. Welcome back. The restored property in Mars Hill was first called the Long Ridge Colored School until it received money from a philanthropist who helped fund schools for black children across the South. On August 30th of this year, alumni returned to their old classroom for the ribbon-cutting ceremony, and Blue Ridge Public Radio reporter Cass Harrington was there. The interior is stark, exposed wood walls and a white beadboard ceiling. Half of the room is lined with the original dark wood, and the other half is brighter, newly placed pine. On one wall, there's a row of paned windows, and those windows were the classroom's only source of light. They didn't have electricity. Fatima Shabazz stands facing the blank wooden wall where she remembers the chalkboard used to be. So we faced this way in our little desk. And as the sun would come up, we got more and more and more light. Her mother, Mary Wilson, taught in this one-room schoolhouse. Shabazz says she remembers her early morning drives with her mom to school from Asheville down a two-lane road to Marshall. She was my first teacher. She was invested in all of our education. Shabazz is proud to see her old school restored and preserved. And she says she hopes the next generation carries the story forward. To look at where we are today as far as race, while we going backwards, but I think a lot of it is not being aware of what has happened previously to overcome those things versus going back to them. The Rosenwald School is a concept created by Sears Roebuck President Julius Rosenwald and educator Booker T. Washington, himself a freed slave. Rosenwald had the financial means and Washington had the vision to establish thousands of state-of-the-art schools for black children in the Jim Crow South. The social economic structure that we had was unknown, but it carried us through to this day. Wallace Bohannon is with the Friends Group of the historic Mars Hill Anderson Rosenwald School. He says in addition to funds from Rosenwald, the schools required a third of their funding come from the Board of Education and the final third from the community. The African-American community was so involved in their own education. I always had the impression maybe we were kind of waiting on handouts, but no, they did the work. Bohannon, who's black, moved to Marshall from New York. He says he decided to get involved because he wanted to continue the legacy that the school's founder started. That's the spirit behind the restoration effort that took a decade to complete, a shared desire to say to the wider Appalachian region that African-Americans were here, are here, and continue to invest in their futures here. I'm Cass Harrington, BPR News. Marcus, I'll tell you, when I listen to that report, I mean, it's interesting. There's so many things that we can unpack from that. And one of the things that I wanted to be a theme of this show is talking about the importance of education, especially among African-Americans, especially in this early period of our history. Yeah. And I think this is especially important, given that, uh, you know, America, even in this earlier period in the country's history, you know, purported to be a democracy. Mm -hmm. And the question becomes, well, how can you how can you expect to have a healthy 
healthy, uh, vigorous democracy if a large swath of your citizenry is either undereducated or not educated at all. And so I think within a a democratic republic, uh, the question of education um, is is even more pressing. Right. Because from the time of the founding, you had founding fathers who gave at least lip service to the idea that an educated citizenry was important to the strength of the democracy and especially a free society. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and again, I think, you know, talking about um, a democratic framework, I think it's it's, it's important for that education to be a critical education Mm -hmm. that allows the citizenry to think, um, you know, sometimes in challenging ways about the health of the country and about the most important vexing issues facing that that, that society. Right. And I'm sure, Marcus, that our audience knows that I have talked a lot about the fact that we are now in this period, which is essentially the sesquicentennial of American Reconstruction. Mm -hmm. This was a long period in American history. We're not talking an awful lot about it. But this story kind of takes us back to the Reconstruction period. Even though this occurred after Reconstruction was over, it still is related. Because when we look at that period in American history, one thing we know about it is how important it was for African Americans to pursue an education. And they were willing to do some some amazing and enormous things to actually get that education. Yeah, definitely. All right. Yeah. And one of the things that you and I have discussed is uh, an example of that is a letter from uh, from Jordan Anderson, who was a former Mm -hmm. slave who had been enslaved in Tennessee. And not too long after emancipation was over, his master tried to get him to come back. Uh, His former owner tried to get him to come back to Tennessee to work. And they exchanged letters with each other. And the one thing that he said that he wanted him to be able to tell him what you all have done for about education so that my daughters can be educated when I bring her back there. So it's a demonstration of just how important the pursuit of an education was to African Americans. The building and and the Rosenwald program, which built so many schools across the American South, is just another example of that. And so we want to explore that in the conversation with, uh, with Willa and with Les when we come back. And so Marcus and I will be back in a moment. So again, Marcus and I want to welcome you back to the Waters and Harvey show. We thank you for staying here with us for this important conversation about education, a conversation I think that we need to have. But we're looking back at the program that was established by Julius Rosenwald to fund African-American educational efforts in the American South. Marcus and I are very pleased and honored to have here in the studio with us someone who's no stranger to the Waters and Harvey show. But we have Les Raker here. And Les is the director of the Rural Heritage Museum at Mars Hill University. And we also have the privilege and honor of having Miss Willa Wyatt, a retired North Carolina educator who has been intimately involved in this project as well here in the studio to discuss this important topic. We want to say welcome to both of you and thank, thank you, you for very coming much. in. Welcome. Thank, right. you. thank you. Thank you for being here. We, we don't want to belabor this. We want to go right into this conversation about the Rosenwald, this project. Um, you all have led this effort to restore. You've been a part of a group that's led the effort to restore the historic Mars Hill Anderson Rosenwald School. Can we first kind of just talk a little bit, just for context for our audience here, a little bit about Julius Rosenwald? Who was Julius Rosenwald? Surely. Um, Julius Rosenwald uh, became the CEO of Sears, Roebuck, and Company. He came when Sears and Roebuck both ran the company. Sears faded away. Roebuck continued to work there, and he worked actually for Rosenwald, who was originally from New York. But as you know, Sears is based in Chicago. Mm -hmm. And Julius Rosenwald had a 
a rabbi at his temple who encouraged, basically, to make it short, him giving back. He encouraged everyone to give back to their community, to their country, and and Rosenwald was inspired by that. He read the book by uh, Booker T. Washington called Up From Slavery, and he was very impressed with that. He managed to meet him, and they became friends. And Booker T. Washington had the philosophy you were mentioning before about trying to in- invent a black middle class. Mm-hmm. We wouldn't say it. He didn't say it in those words, but that's what he was trying to do. And the only way there was through good elementary education. Right. So they teamed up, and Booker T. Washington became the headmaster of the Tuskegee Institute in South Central Alabama, and Rosenwald helped him with that. And he, Rosenwald and Washington also encouraged construction um, and help with some elementary schools surrounding that that to Tuskegee Institute. And then, long story short, they said, you know, there's other need in the South, and Willa can address this, but there are some 5,000 schools that were built in what was the Reconstruction South or mm-hmm. just after that. And they weren't built for very many years, only about 30 years, Willa, correct me if I'm wrong, that they were actually given this money because when Rosenwald passed away, his his uh, foundation stopped so. then too. <laughs> Well, Les, you know, this it's interesting. And Willa, I'm interested here in uh, for hearing from you also as an educator, retired educator. In the schools, did you talk a lot about Julius Rosenwald when you were te- in? Did you have the opportunity to talk to students about Julius Rosenwald? Not in my work. Mm-hmm. And I don't ever remember it being shared with me when I was a student. Right. It's, it's, so. it's really interesting when you consider that. There's so much about our history and this unique – because what's so unique about this experience is the effort of collaboration between uh, Washington and Rosenwald, right. which you mentioned here, Les. Yeah. And, and Les, uh, so you mentioned um, you know, Rosenwald being interested in elementary education for African-Americans. Right. And, and what comes to mind for me is you know, it's one thing to talk about the role that philanthropy – played in helping to facilitate African-American edu- education during Reconstruction. But I think it's another thing to, to, to really sort of jump into motivations um, mm-hmm. for for that kind of uh, uh, project. So I wonder if perhaps, Les, um, you could say a little bit more, maybe Will, if you have something to contribute as well, uh, a bit more about the, the about other motivations um, sort of influencing Rosenwald to, to take such an active role in helping to educate African-Americans during a period um, that was perhaps one of the, if not the, most racially um, unstable period in our, in our country's history. Right. I've read his uh, – Rosenwald's son wrote a book about mm-hmm. this, and, and he has said right in the book that he felt that his father felt that this was the most important thing he ever did because he gave away a lot of money with his foundation, Boy Scouts, all kinds of groups. And we're talking about in the 19-teens and 1920s, you know, mm-hmm. back way back. And he was one of the wealthiest people in the nation. Mm-hmm. You don't hear much about him because he died fairly young. But he did believe in that. And a lot of money from the Rockefellers and others was being funneled to the HBCs, the Historic Black Colleges. Mm-hmm. They were coming up, they were starting up, and it was fine and dandy. But what Rosenwald and Washington noticed is that here in the Deep South, the elementary education was sorely lacking. So, and you're never going to get to an HBC or any other college if you don't have a good foundation. And we've noticed that with our local um, Mars Hill School, mm-hmm. so many people were very successful, went on to get PhDs and other mm-hmm. things, and they never would have been able to do that without this mm-hmm. school. 
Uh, in terms of what else motivated Roosevelt, I'm not sure, except he really was a generous man, and he wanted his money to go to the right places to make the biggest impact that it could. I think the impact, um, one of his biggest impacts was from um, Booker T. Washington, Mm -hmm. because Julius Rosenwald served on the Board of Trustees at Tuskegee Institute. So they had a really close relationship there, and I think um, just the passion that um, Booker T. Washington had for providing a better place for black children in the rural south, um, actually southeast, uh, just made a lasting impression on Julius Rosenwald. And uh, Julius Rosenwald, it was a great philanthropy that he gave to the Rosenwald schools. But he was very specific that this was a one-time gift to the schools. He was not going to give and then keep giving and keep giving. But you got it one time. And he only gave if there was... um, an agreement that um, the local community, the black community, would work and provide a third of the cost, either in in in-kind materials, labor, dollars, and that if the local school system would provide a third, that he would match that with a third. But he was just, he didn't give to give the whole thing. Mm-hmm. He gave to be a part of a greater thing. Mm-hmm. Well, 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 I'm glad you brought that up. And Les, too, I mean, because this is important about the role, and we want to come back to that in just a few minutes, about the role that the African-American community and then the local larger community played in this effort as well and how those relationships actually unfolded. But, Les, I'm glad that you mentioned the biography that his son did on him. And I know a number of other people who've written about him. One of my former professors at UNC Chapel Hill, Dr. James Lelutis, has written a book about education in the New South, and he talks a lot about Rosenwald and Rosenwald Fund. And one of the things I find interesting about him is this empathy. He, had, he seems to have developed this very empathetic spirit uh, and understanding of the experiences of African Americans at that time. Marcus, you brought brought up what uh, the whole the period that this is one of the most racially charged periods in American history and we look deeply at what was going on in this time it's interesting to see the debates that were going on in the American South about whether or not to educate African Americans what type of education they would receive but I know that Rosenwald's experiences in Germany um, even before the First World War, because his family, uh, I think, immigrated here from from okay. Germany. And the challenges that the Jewish community was already experiencing there had really given him a sensitivity to the challenges that African-Americans were experiencing here. That's part of that natural alliance between African-Americans and the Jewish community have had uh, traditionally in our country. And because of shared experiences and uh, ostracization and um, a, a feeling of being the other. Right. And uh, so it was a natural thing. Mm -hmm. And it was the right thing to do. Right. And that's the way he talked about it. His son's name, by the way, is Peter Ascoli, if anybody wants to look up his book. biography. So, so Les Willa, can you tell us anything about – I'm sure that as you all were working on this project, you took into consideration some – especially as you're cutting the ribbon-cutting ceremony to consider the larger context. Mm-hmm. Can you tell our audience and tell us a little bit about what was going on nationally and even here in the state and maybe here in the region surrounding education and the education of African Americans at that time? It's kind of a politically charged time, right? It was, and Willa can address this as well. Uh, as you As you introduced this whole segment, you talked about it being called the um, – colored school and they use terms like colored school they call black school in fact that school has many names and when you ask willa what 
what they taught about Rosenwald, actually the children who went to school then didn't even know his name. Other schools mm. did, but here in Mars Hill, they didn't know his name. They just knew that it was the Long Ridge School or the Mars Hill School or something like that, or the Colored School. Mm. And, uh, and the alumni who we work with closely now, that's the way they refer to right, it. Right, right. And in that piece that you ran earlier with Fatima Shabazz, um, she she talks at length about that, and and uh, this and the other alumni, the how they engaged in this community, the people in, and Willa can fill in here, but the African Americans from the Madison County, which is where this school is, and Mars Hill, don't feel that. It was as bad, quote unquote. They tell us that all the time that it was elsewhere in terms of race relations. Mm-hmm. In fact, they would give regular uh, performances, plays at the school on weekends, and the entire community would come and watch, including the whole white community mm-hmm. would come watch the plays because that was entertainment. Right. No TVs, mm-hmm. and uh, so there was a camaraderie, but there was still a caste system. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is at the heart of what was so disconcerting for African Americans is that everybody had a place. Right, right. In talking with the alumni and their families, um, especially Charity Ray, who's our go-to person (laughs) in the community, uh, she would say they knew that as children they had to go to school in different buildings. But they knew that before school and after school, there was no difference in how blacks and whites were treated in the community. That some of the black children were babysat after school with in white homes and, and vice versa. So um, they've been very adamant about saying mm-hmm. that. They have. They surprised very, me. very adamant about that. The, the thing that they talked about was that they felt like they got the the rejected books or the old books that had been in the white schools and um, not nearly as good of furniture. But in terms of personal relationships, they're very, very strong in in their belief that that they were supported blacks and whites equally. They just had to go to school in separate places. And they make a point of stressing that to us, the white community who work with them, the very things she just said. Right. I mean, they they mention it all the time that they how they got along. Right. And I think, Les, you're touching on something about the uniqueness of the Southern Appalachian right. experience, which exactly. is something that Marcus and I have had a great time exploring. That and I yeah. think needs to be explored further. Yeah, definitely. And Willa, you mentioned earlier um, that Rosenwald saw uh, this philanthropic work as participating in a in a sort of broader um, effort. Um, <clears throat> to uh, to educate the African American community, an effort that African Americans were themselves inter- integrally involved in. Uh, could you say a bit more about about the role that African Americans did play um, in in the the sort of mission of the Rosenwald Fund and the schools that it created? Well, specifically for ours in Mars Hill, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of them didn't have money to put up dollars, but they donated time. Mm-hmm. Um, Materials. They donated materials, and some of them did. I think you know some land, perhaps that was a little bit of land was given. But um, across the southeast, and the the goal was like in our area, we have a, an elementary school that is a, a two teacher, one room school. We would like to consider it a two room school, but it's too short and too narrow. 
so it but it was a two teacher school but in addition to schools elementary schools there were uh, industrial high schools hmm. and that was one thing that Julius Rosenwald was very strong in his belief and in his desire if you had a school and he helped fund it you needed to have an industrial room or hmm. some type of craft um, talents could be looked at or whatever and so we ended up we had one of those added to our school but there are big industrial high schools that were built there's some schools in the southeast that are two or three stories tall with uh, you know 15 20 classrooms in them and in addition to the um, small elementary schools up to the industrial high schools they also built um, what they called teachriches in rural communities where they had to bus or had had to bring teachers in because in those particular communities there were not folks who could drive or who even lived anywhere near. And at that point, again, it's my understanding from reading the history of the, the schools and the buildings, that the local community was very gracious to those teachers who were brought in. They made them feel a part of the community. But whether the school was small like ours or big like the big industrial high schools, the expectation was that the, that the local black community would provide a third, define it however. Right. And, and I tell you, well, again, and for our audience, you know, there's just to think about. I mean, that's an amazing thing that African-Americans were able to do. I know in, in his book on education in the New South, Dr. Lelutis points out that if you look at the amount of money that African-Americans raised um, in the, just in the state of North Carolina, because it's my understanding that North Carolina had more of the Rosenwald schools than any other right. state, I think, they it had, led. It was right. over 600, 600 of those schools here in, in North Carolina. And I know that um, that James Lelutis says that if you look at the amount of money the African-Americans actually raised among themselves at that time, it's well in excess of $700,000 at that time in in the early 20th century, which is an enormous amount of money. Mm -hmm. And there was concern at the time, and it still is a concern, that the blacks, in doing, in having the expectation that they would give that third, they were being double taxed. Yes. Because mm -hmm. they were paying the local tax, and then they were paying again to mm -hmm. get those schools. And I that's, that's mentioned something thing. in the time that remains. I wanted to talk about what is defined as a Rosenwald school, and Will can do this better than I. What is a Rosenwald School? Okay. Uh, a Rosenwald School, I have to take you back a little bit to Tuskegee University because in the beginning, the architectural students at Tuskegee designed the schools, and Julius Rosenwald approved of those. And it was a big upgrade from what the students had been used to going to. Then as the program progressed, uh, it got it became too large for Tuskegee to take care of. So they moved the oversight to Fisk University. And there they became the community schools. And so there was big book of plans that lots of schools in the South, lots of school systems purchased those plans to build schools, but they did not get funding from the Rosenwald Fund. They were a Rosenwald plan but got no money. And so in order to, to attach or have Rosenwald as a part of your school's name, your school system had to have gotten Rosenwald funds. And Madison County got $750 toward the building of our school. Yeah. 
Well, um, this has been a rich conversation. I'm, I'm curious to, if, if Bless and Willa, uh, you could speak to the sort of broader question of the significance of 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 the um, of this project uh, to the broader Mars Hill community. It's very important, and again, I've deferred to Willa on that, but it's been a 10-year project thus far because the building was almost falling down until they took it on. But luckily, it was used over the years as a a tobacco-drying barn and all kind of things. Wes, could I say Mm -hmm. here, because it's one of the few that's still in existence. It's the only one still standing in western North Carolina, Mm -hmm. the the counties that we call, define as western North Carolina, Mm -hmm. 19 or whatever that is. So it's the only one that's left. There are, I don't know, Will can say how many are across the state that are still left and being rehabilitated. There's a whole program. There's a Rosenwald Association that we go to their annual meetings, and there's a program in a a how-to book, how to how to revive a Rosenwald school mm-hmm. um, and so we did that but it's it's very important it's bringing the community together and also obviously all the alumni who have come back to visit last weekend when we had this anniversary uh, there were alumni from all over the US especially and their descendants who came and visited this school because it made a big impact on their lives it's an important of history and what history can do it can be so inspirational you know now let's you know one last question here because I mean, it's my understanding you you are connected with uh, Mars Hill University right now what role has Mars Hill University played has Mars Hill University itself played a role yes in well this? Mars Hill has contributed we bought a window it's <laughs> uh, contributed to the uh, and they it contributed to some people uh, and my own contribution is I, I put together an exhibition several years ago about African-American education in Western North Carolina uh, with a focus on the Rosenwald School after that I became on came on the friends group because uh, I just fell in love and I think it was the most important exhibition I ever did right I think I it really it contributed a lot to the conversation and to West North Carolina right. and helped out the school a little bit right. too well, again, you know, Les and, and Willow, we want to thank you, Marcus. Time just goes by too fast. This is such a deep conversation, and I and I do know a conversation that we need to continue. But we want to thank you for the work that you've done to restore this this uh, this rich legacy, you know, to so that it's passed on. Marcus and I are going to be back in just a minute. Well, again, this has been the Waters and Harvest Show. Marcus, the Rosenwald Schools and the whole effort of education among African-Americans is a topic that we just we need about a couple of hours to, to explore. It, this. It, it, it is. And I, I'm really reminded of the great grandfather of the now late historian Manny Mirable, uh, Morris Mirable, who, while born a slave, um, labored tirelessly, despite being despite not being able to read, essentially, uh, to send 13 of his children um, to school. Um, and, and this is after the Civil War. And so I think examples like that of Morris Marable and then even uh, Manny Marable's later father, James Marable, who also did essentially the same thing for history children, um, are really examples of a strong legacy of, of commitment to education, education in our community that I think doesn't get enough attention you're, as it should. You are absolutely right. And Willa brought up something that I think is real important for us to think about when we think about the Rosenwald schools is that in many cases, African-Americans were double taxing themselves. They were choosing to do this themselves yeah. because they saw education being so fundamental to the opportunity to be successful, to be a part of what we call the so the, the American dream. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that really challenges this dominant narrative that, that, that African-Americans don't value education. Yes, and, and so, Marcus, this brings up... I, 
and I'm hoping that you and I can explore this in a future conversation about where are we now and how do we value education now, especially in our community. We've had a lot of discussions about that, so we'll come back to it. Indeed. Again, we want to thank Les and Willa for being here, and we want to remind you all that the Waters and Harvest Show is produced at Blue Ridge Public Radio in Asheville, North Carolina. And you can listen to our podcast on BPR.org, on the BPR mobile app, and on iTunes and Google Play. Follow us and get in touch on Facebook and Twitter, and thank you again for joining us, and we'll talk to you next time. Take care.